Thank you for listening to this week's message from New Day Community Church in Vandalia. We hope this message encourages and blesses you. Look us up and contact us at newdaycommunity.org. Who is your king? And what difference does it make? That's what I want to talk about this morning. Now, I really have a one-track mind. Every sermon I give anymore has something to do with the kingdom because that's a call on my life. It's... it's. Uh, it's my call for this season in my life is to help people get hold of, understand, get a grip on the gospel of the kingdom and how you live that out on a day-to-day basis. And that's what Cameron was also talking about when talking about I can, I can live without sin for the next minute. I can walk. I can walk in the kingdom of God. That's a possibility. Grace covers our sin when we slip up. But sometimes, sometimes we, we borderline make that cheap grace by just saying, oh, we're just gonna, we're just gonna mess up anyway. And the truth is, God can, has given us a way to walk in victory. And to walk in holiness and righteousness. And we can do that. So that's what I want to talk about this morning. I want to start, we just finished. I, I've been gone so much, I don't remember exactly where we were, but I think you just finished a series on the Nicene Creed. Is that right? Okay. The Nicene Creed, of course, is a powerful and rich statement of what the church has believed throughout the centuries. And we went through that kind of line by line. That was a good thing. I love it that we repeat the Nicene Creed here often. It's a good thing. It keeps us in touch with what the church has believed through the, through the years, through the centuries. However, one thing about the creed that I find surprising is that the only reference to God or Jesus as king and to his kingdom is one statement, speaking of Jesus, that says he will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. That's a true statement. But there's really nothing there that talks about, you see, that sounds like the kingdom is out there in the future, when Jesus returns, when we go to, when we go to heaven, whatever, it's out there, and it ends up being, becoming something remote from us instead of a present reality. When Jesus taught us to pray for His kingdom to come where? On earth, as it is in heaven. Now, one of the things that's interesting is I think the reason that happened, you see, the things that got into the creeds, were the things that weren't settled were a bit controversial yet. And the whole thing of the Trinity in, in the early church, that was something they had to, they had to work through what they believed about that because that was new to them. And so most of the, of the Nicene Creed and the early creeds are focused on that. The truth is the kingdom was something that was real to them. It wasn't even controversial. When the Nicene Creed was adopted in 325, that was right, that was 12 years after Christianity first became tolerated, and before that it was persecuted, and so they had already gone through years of time where Caesar, who also had the title Lord, would have his soldiers ride up to a home and say, Caesar is Lord. Now, that's a kingship statement, you see. 
And Christians were faced with, what do we do? And thousands of them said, Jesus is Lord. And they, they literally lost their heads. They lost their lives because of that. So you understand what I'm saying? They understood the reality of the kingdom as a now thing because they had already walked through that. That's why it's not made a big issue in the Nicene Creed. And sometimes, you know, what we do with good intentions leads to unintended consequences. And so what happens over, think about the next centuries, particularly all the way up to the time of the printing press, for a lot of people, what they, they didn't have the scriptures in their hand. All they had was the creeds that they, re, that they, uh, talked about and re, what's the right word? Recited. That's what I'm looking for. Recited Sunday after Sunday. And so one of the unintended consequences of that is the kingdom, the reality of the kingdom, you, particularly the, the creed was, was adopted, as I said, 12 years after Constantine tolerated Christianity. It was revised in 381, which was a year after Christianity was made the official religion of the empire. And so for the next hundreds of years, particularly before the printing press and people began to read the scriptures for themselves, they recited the creed and the kingdom got pushed farther down the road and it became a religious reality out there in the future. You understand what I'm saying? And that really, that really has come down through the centuries. And in a very real way, it's only, it's only been in the last century or less that people have begun to get a hold again of the of the reality that the kingdom is to be lived out now. So this is where I'm going today, as quickly as I can. Number one, God has always called His people to life under His kingship in real everyday life, one minute at a time, if you will. This is an actual lifestyle. This is not just a religious term. Secondly, God's people have often found it somewhat difficult to do this and tend to fall off the road into one ditch or the other. People who know me know that's one of my favorite sayings. There's a ditch on either side of the road and the devil could care less which ditch you're in as long as you're not on the road which represents the kingdom of God. And so people tend to fall off when they into one ditch or the other and the one ditch is the whatever I want to do ditch, I'll do. That's the ditch of anarchy. And the other one is whatever the government says, that's the ditch of authoritarianism. Now, if you don't believe that those two things are still being played out, watch the news. Because we see that right in front of our eyes. We see people in both ditches fighting each other. Which means this is an awesome time for the people of God to say, Guess what, folks? There's another way. There's the way of God's kingdom. And by the empowering of the Holy Spirit, we can live in God's kingdom now with Jesus as our king. So let's start with the fact that God has always, he's always intended for us to live with God as king. Isaiah 43:15. I am the Lord. Lord in capital letters is God's name, Yahweh. 
I am Yahweh, your Holy One, Israel's Creator, your King. Psalm 10:16. Yahweh is King forever and ever. The nations will perish from His land. Psalm 97, 1 and 2. The Lord reigns. Yahweh reigns. Let the earth be glad. Let the distant shores rejoice. Clouds and thick darkness surround Him. Righteousness and justice are the foundations of His throne. He has a kingdom found on righteousness and justice. That's what we're walking out one minute at a time, okay, as we live in the kingdom. And, of course, when we come to the New Testament, we see Jesus is king. He talked about it throughout his ministry. He didn't. There, he talked about the, the kingdom of God and the good news of the kingdom more than anything else. And when, it, when he ended up in Jerusalem, entering into Jerusalem for his, uh, the time in which he would meet his crucifixion, we read these words. See, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey and on a coat, the fowl of a donkey. And above his head, when they crucified him, they placed the written charge against this him. This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. So, Jesus is king. Is he your king? And what does that mean to you? Who, what is a king? What is a kingdom? Who has one? Those are things that I don't think we have a real grasp of. And that's kind of what I want to talk about this morning. So let's give some definitions, first of all. Who is a king or a queen? It's a sovereign. That means one that exercises supreme authority within a limited sphere. That's a king. It's a sovereign. I had an interesting experience uh, several years back. Uh, I had a lady from the congregation we were a part of at that time that was a Canadian citizen but had lived here for a number of years and had applied for uh, to, to for naturalized citizenship. And she asked me if I would help her prepare for that. So she came over and I we went through the oath that you take. And it was interesting. One of the things it said there was, I renounce all other sovereigns in my life. And I said, whoa, I'm glad I was born here and don't have to answer that. Because I'd have a problem with that. I I couldn't say that without some qualification. And that is that I do have another sovereign in my life. He's Jesus, and he is my ultimate sovereign. Now, it's interesting, the U.S. government has actually allowed for that kind of a statement to be made, which is a good thing, you see. That's what a king is. So what is a kingdom? These, these definitions come from one of my favorite writers, Dallas Willard. He says, simply the range of one's effective will. Wherever we genuinely have the say over is our kingdom. Okay. Now, I want you to think about that because you and I, all of us, have a kingdom. Even if it's just our life. I determine, I determine what I'm going to do with my, my time. I determine what I'm going to wear in the morning. Well, sometimes I ask my wife about that because I'm colorblind and I've been known to put some rather weird combinations together. But you understand what I'm saying. We have we have a sphere in which we make the decisions for ourselves. 
and having the say over something is precisely what places it within our kingdom. In creating human beings, God made them to rule. Remember that from the creation account? Have dominion. To have dominion in a limited sphere. Only so can they be persons. And I really appreciate this that, I, that Dallas has taught me. It's that very fact that makes us persons. And if you've ever been around a person who was so totally dominated by another person that they had no decisions of their own, that is not a pretty thing. It's not how God designed us to function. So all of us have a kingdom that we're responsible for. And so then the kingdom of God is simply wherever. Where is the kingdom of God? It's wherever God's will is carried out. That's what defines the kingdom. Now, we're meant to exercise our rule only in union with God as he acts with us. He intended to be our constant companion or co-worker in the creative enterprise of life on earth. That is what he loves for us. That's what his love for us means in practical terms. He's on, he's on a mission, and we're on a mission with him. That's why I like to call the Great Commission the Great Co-Mission, because it's a co-mission that we're on jointly. I have a, a friend from Germany named Albert Sassoon who said this, when we submit our kingdom to God's, we become a province of his kingdom. Now, I like that. See, I can take my kingdom, I can bow my knee to Jesus and submit my kingdom to, to God's, and I become a province of his kingdom. And so do you. I love that. Last Sunday, I was at Trinity Church in Morton, Illinois, one of the churches that I serve as an overseer, and their vision statement there I love, it says, we're to be a people of God's presence, visibly demonstrating the kingdom of God. Now, I love that. Fifteen years ago, when I started with them, they only had the last half of that, visibly demonstrating the kingdom. And over the last ten years, they've added the the first part of it. And I told them last week, I love your vision statement, and I love the two parts of it, because the way we demonstrate the kingdom is to be a people of God's presence. That's how we're empowered to do that. Now, so we're a kingdom. We have a king, and that king has a mission. And Israel's mission was given to them in Exodus 19, which was at the time of the giving of of the law of the Ten Commandments. Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you're to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Now, what does a priest do? What does a priest do, Lou? Offers sacrifices. How about connects people to God? Intercedes for them. Okay. 
So Israel is to be a king out of all the nations of the world. They all belong to God. God is sovereign over the whole universe. He chose them because the rest, the rest of the nations, the rest of the people groups are alienated from God. And so he chose God, or he chose Israel to be the link that would be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. Holy means set apart. So they're a set apart people, and they're set apart to a task, and that's to be a kingdom of priests. Now, it's very interesting that when you come to the New Testament, to First Peter, you have what is actually a paraphrase of that same statement. As, which is our calling. Now he's talking to us. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you'd not received mercy, but now you have. And so you're on a mission with me. You're a royal priesthood, the same calling that Israel had. We're to be a people set apart to be a kingdom of priests, to serve this world in which we live. Now, so, that's our calling. That's who God is. That's what it means to be a king. That's what it means to submit our kingdom to God's. So, what's the problem? Why do we keep falling in the ditch? When it comes to the kingdom. Well, I would suggest to you that the root source of both ditches is the same. First, I want to look at Genesis 3, 8. The man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. I want to stop right there for now. They, uh, this, this comes after the fall, chapter 3, but it's obvious They had been walking with him in the cool of the day before. They understood that. They heard that sound. They knew what that sound was. They had been in constant communication with their Creator. Now, sin had come into the life, and so what did they do? They hid. They hid. And then it's interesting when you fast forward a few hundred years to the time of, again, when Israel is on Mount Sinai and is becoming a, a people, the, the people of God, becoming a holy nation that we just looked at in chapter 19. And they had an encounter with God there. And, and sometimes encounters with God are powerful. They kind of knock your socks off. And the thunder scared them. And notice what they said. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, Speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we'll die. So what's this, the root? It's a distorted picture of God that causes people to run and hide because of fear and shame. That's the root of the problem. And the problem is they quit listening directly to God which often leads to either anarchy or authoritarianism because they're no longer staying in touch with the living God. Now, are there people who are Christians who aren't staying in touch with the living God and they tend to fall in the same ditches? Does that make sense to you? 
and we see the track toward anarchy. Judges 21, 25, in those days there was no king in Israel. Remember, they had a king. They knew God was their king. But in those days there was no king. Everybody did what was right in their own eyes. You do your thing, I'll do my thing, I'm okay, you're okay, everybody's okay, no problem. What's that got us? That's got us a ton of problems, that's what it's got us. Isaiah 53, 6, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. That's a root problem. We're going to go do our own thing. That's the track toward anarchy. We see the same thing in the New Testament in Second Peter The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the sinful nature or the flesh, depending on your translation, and despise authority. So you see, when you go down that road, you quit listening to God, you get wrapped up in yourself, you decide that you're the standard and you will make the decisions, and you begin to despise authority. That's the track toward anarchy. What about the track toward authoritarianism? Well, that's the other ditch. And again, they, Israel knew God was their king. But over the centuries, they begin to lose their focus. And so in Judges, they came to Gideon after, Gideon after God had raised up Gideon to deliver them from the Midianites. And you remember that story. And they forgot that it was God working through Gideon. And they came to Gideon and said, rule over us, you, your son, and your grandson, because you saved us from the hand of Midian. So you, be our, you come be our king. And what did Gideon say? No, I'm not going to rule over you, nor will my son rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. Yahweh will rule over you. That's who, that's who we are. Now, it's interesting if you keep reading, one of his sons, Abimelech, later said, Wait, I'll, I'll do it. I'll volunteer. And one of his brothers, Jotham, said, You don't really want that. And so it didn't really happen, but he was the first one that volunteered. Then you come to the time of Samuel, not too far down the track, and they, they said to Samuel, listen, listen, you, you're old and your sons don't do what you did. We want, we, we're tired of being different. We, we want to be just like all the other nations. And when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It's not you they have rejected. They have rejected me as their king. Then we come to the New Testament. And when Jesus is on trial before Pilate, says when Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as the stone pavement. It was the day of preparation. It was about noon. Here is your king, he said to the Jews. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king? Pilate asked. Notice what the chief priest said. We have no king but Caesar. Now look at the progression, if you will. Yahweh is king. Oh, would you come and be our king? No. All right, now we're tired of being different. We want to be a a, a nation like everybody else. Give us a king. And finally, we have no king but Caesar. 
You know, and the truth is, when the high priest said that, he sealed the fate of Jerusalem. And less than 40 years later, Jerusalem was totally destroyed by the Romans. The temple was destroyed. It was the end of the whole temple system. It's a dangerous thing to walk out from under the kingdom of God. Now, some people find it hard to walk in the kingdom because of God's kingdom is different. Again, when Jesus is before Pilate, Pilate asks him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied, Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Now, what does that mean? When Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world and it's from another place, what was he saying? See, most people, again, because of of where the church has tracked throughout the ages, throughout the dark ages especially, concerning the kingdom, they think, well, that means it's out there. It's, it's not of this world. It's, it's out there. It's otherworldly. And it's from another place. I don't think it means that at all. It means it is not of this world. It's not of the same nature as this world. That's what you, you, you hear the phrase to, about what it means to be in the world but not of the world. That means we live in this world. We're called to live in this world. We're called to be a kingdom of priests to minister to this world. But we're not of the world. This kingdom comes from another place. Where does it come from? It comes from heaven. Isn't that where God dwells? And where is that? Corinthians says we're seated with Him in the heavenly realms. Doesn't it? Does the Bible say that? So here, you're seated. I see you. You're right in front of me on very tangible chairs in a very tangible building. And yet you're also seated with Him in the heavenlies. Think about it. That says... What did Jesus ask his people to pray? Your kingdom come, your will be done. When when his will is done, what is that? That's his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. So this is not, he's not saying, oh, the kingdom will come in the sweet by and by. He's saying it's here, but it's a whole different nature than what you're used to. Because it comes from another place. It comes from the place where God dwells. Does that make sense to you? That's why Jesus, you know, when when the disciples were arguing about who's going to be the greatest and who's going to get to set next to them, that sounds like the kingdoms of this world, doesn't it? Isn't that the way that operates? 
My first job was a draftsman at Methodist Hospital in Indianapolis, Indiana, which was a huge hospital, still is, but at that time they had 1,200 beds. And uh, what was that? where was I going with that? What was I talking about? Oh, arguing about positions. I was the only draftsman there. So one of my jobs was when whenever there was a shakeup in the organization, I drew the organizational charts. And so when Dr. Jack Hahn, who was the president of Methodist Hospital, when there was a shakeup, he would bring his little sketch of the way the boxes are going to line up back to me to draw that out on my drafting board. And I became the most popular person in the hospital in those days. Every time, every time that people knew there was a shakeup of some kind coming, they'd find some reason to come back to my drawing room and look over my shoulder. Why? Because they're looking, they want to know where their box is going to be and who's above it and who's below it. Those are the things of this world. That's the way this world operates. Jesus said, you know that that's the way the, the Gentiles do it. They ex- their high officials lord it over others. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's the kind of kingdom we're called to live out as a holy nation a royal priesthood, a people committed to the living God and walking in His kingdom on a day-to-day, minute-by-minute. I like that, Cameron. Think about it, folks. You can do that. You can walk out God's will for the next minute. And if you can do it for one, you can do it for two and for three and for four. All right. Graham Cook wrote a book called A Divine Confrontation. And and I I like this because he really helps us understand how this kingdom operates. This is what he says. The proper structure of authority in the church is firstly God, secondly, the infallibility of Scripture, thirdly, the conscience of the individual, and finally, delegated authority recognized through apostles, prophets, and local eldership teams. True leaders, kingdom leaders, ones with a fathering heart, will always teach people how to live in and before God. They will not violate people's conscience, but will nurture it and appeal to it in times of tension. In some churches and organizations, delegated authority is placed ahead of conscience. Leaders control how people think and behave. People are not taught how to grow up in God, but how to submit to leadership. Think of Caiaphas, the high priest. What was he thinking about? How am I going to stay in this position I'm in? Okay? In some cases, to have a different viewpoint than your leaders is seen as being rebellious or a troublemaker because they don't understand, you see the nature of this kingdom. And frankly, this is why I'm pleased to be in a presence-based church, which is the next series coming your way, where people are taught how to grow up in God by walking in His presence. 
living in daily conversation with the Spirit. That's what you get here, is that you're taught how to live this out. How to live it out. Your kingdom submitted to God's kingdom. And leaders are here to help that happen, not to teach you how we're going to lead, how we're going to keep you in order. These are the practical implications of what it means to live in God's kingdom. Now, I, I collect quotes. I've done this for years. Every book I've ever read, I remember one thing from it. This is my favorite quote from April. It's from a video series by Dallas Willard and John Ortberg. It was the last workshop Dallas Willard did before he went to be with the Lord. This is what he said. Stepping into the kingdom makes us more open and honest. Religion tends to make us closed and dishonest. Now, that's been very real and was very timely for me because I've spent the last three weekends helping people work at conflict resolution. It's not a job I ask for, but it's a way to contribute to the kingdom. Stepping into the kingdom makes us more open and honest. Religion tends to make us closed and dishonest. I was talking with a young man recently, and I asked him, where does God fit in your life? And he said, oh, I'm not religious. I said, oh, I'm not either. I don't like religion especially, but I am a Christian. And he looked at me a little weird, but that's who I am. Now, I don't think, I have a video here. I don't think it's going to play right from here. Will it? Oh, it does. Stand up and sing with it if you know it. 